Hey everybody, it's Marcus Tatum, back with another Convince Christianity podcast. And like I told you guys last time, I'm going to be really creative with how I post on the podcast, really um, just in light of my busy schedule with ministry, fundraising, and even planning a wedding. So um, today I figured I'd actually share with you guys um, a message that I preached uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, um, at Crossroads Church. Now, Crossroads Church, um, likened to Commitment Collegiate Church, which you've probably heard about on this podcast already, um, are both satellite campuses of Commitment Church. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more about those ne- that network of churches that I mentioned, um, feel free to visit the website at www.commitmentchurch.org. Um, but today on the podcast, I'm going to share with you guys the message that I preached on August 19th, um, titled "Why Should We Go." It's a part of a larger eight-week sermon series called "Let's Go," all around the idea of Jesus commanding us to go out into the world and preach the gospel. So what you're about to hear next is that message, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry. Got a letter off the stage. Great. So some of you may know me and may be a familiar face, um, but to some of you, maybe not. Um, so I'll introduce myself again. I'm Marcus Tatum, and you probably even saw the clip earlier. Um, and I'll be the campus pastor of uh, Commitment Collegiate Church uh, in Glassboro, New Jersey. Uh, we planted a church on Rowan University's campus. Um, and it's cool, I even learned um, Josh's wife, Carrie, it was uh, graduated from Rowan, right? Uh, lived close to Rowan. Lived, okay, lived in, okay, lived in Glassboro, close enough. Uh, but connecting those dots was pretty cool. Um, but that's who I am. Uh, but today I'm tasked to give you the message. Um, and I just want to pray again before we start. So if that's okay, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, as Tom said, even just to worship you in freedom, Lord, here. Uh, Thank you for getting us all here um, safely, Lord. I pray that as uh, I preach from your word, that you would just speak through me, Lord. Uh, Remove me from the equation, Father. Uh, Open the hearts of your people. Uh, Remove all the distractions and hindrances, Father, from uh, whatever is holding people back from an encounter with you. Um, And just let your love reign here, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today uh, we're continuing on our Let's Go series. the topic today, if you will, uh, is why should we go? And so we've heard about where are we going, who are we going to, um, and even what happens if we don't go, right? Pastor Cedric even we heard talked about what if Jesus didn't go, um, the implications of that. Um, but today we're on why should we go? Um, and the big idea here is we all must find a reason to go um, and preach the gospel. Um, and we're going to be in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, so if you could all turn there if you'd like. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 6, and we'll find our first point in verse 9. This is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, and he says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, and I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And so here we find our first point. Why should we go? Ultimately to please God. All right. And so what is pleasing God? Um, well, that which is pleasing to God is anything that's within his will. Anything that he desires, anything that he wants from us is pleasing God. If we follow through and fulfill what he's called us to do, it's pleasing to God. But Paul, Paul also says here he has an ambition to do this, an ambition that word ambition is a passion or a love for, for what is honorable. All right? 
or having even an anticipation to do what is honorable. Um, so that might not shock you, but pleasing God is honorable. Um, and so we should have a joy even in, in doing what God has called us to do um, because it pleases God. And that should bring joy to us. And we shouldn't feel like we're dragging our feet to do what God has called us to do and even following his law. Paul had a joy. And I also want to make the point that God is not after your hateful or begrudging, reluctant submission to his commandments. He takes no joy in that. If you're dragging your feet saying, I guess I have to. If I have to, I'll do it, God. He doesn't take any joy in that. He wants you to cheerfully give, right, as Josh said earlier. He wants you to cheerfully follow in his, his commandments and what he has for your life. Find joy in that. We should want to please him. And we want to please him because we love him. And if you're struggling to find the joy and even freedom that there's, that's found in following him and, and living out this life for him, the inevitable question is, do I love him? Do I love him? But if that is the question, that's probably actually not your primary battle. First uh, John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So if we love in response to the love that he's shown us, and the, he modeled out love and what that looks like to us, that's the love that we should be giving, the sacrificial love that he gave for us. And so our love towards other people should be sacrificial. Our love towards God should be sacrificial. And so 1 John 4, 19, I'll read it again. It says, we love because he first loved us. This actually tells us that the core of uh, the struggle of following his law is not the incapacity to love him, but it's actually the reluctance to believe how much he loves you. You have to know how much he loves you and understand how much he loves you, and that will convict you and motivate you to live this life for him, the way he's called you to live it. God is the very standard of how we should live and how we should love. Okay? So the way, again, as he's loved us sacrificially, we should love other people that way. He gave his life. He gave up exploiting his deity. He was sitting on the throne of heaven, and he left heaven to take on flesh. He's now hungry. He's now thirsty. He's now tired. He took on all of that for us. So we should love other people the same way. Let's sacrifice our time, sacrifice our resources for other people, for God. Uh, but he's also the standard of how we should live. Uh, John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me. And again, as we talked about, you have to understand how much he loves you. And you will love him back. It's inevitable. You can't escape it. When God, is just, when God takes over your life and you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah, you have nothing you can do. God's got you. And you're going to live for him. Um, your lifestyle will communicate even what you believe about God. Do you believe he loves you? And you'll, you'll we'll see that in the way that you live out your life. If you're not following his law, do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he even exists? Because if you don't, you have every right to say, well, I can live however I want. And I don't, nobody has to, I don't have to answer to anybody for it. If you can convince yourself of that, that's harmful. It's dangerous. What you believe about God has eternal implications. But I want to back up even uh, to verse 8 that we read by. And it says, uh, Paul's still speaking here. He says, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying here? He says he prefers to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Paul's conflicted here. And if you know anything about Paul, you understand why. 
This man lived his life in, in and out of prisons and was continuously, continuously being hunted down by militias whose only goal was to kill Paul. So he's ready to go. He's surrounded by trouble, he's surrounded by hate, he's surrounded by murder, and he's ready to go home and be with the Lord. Yet, in verse 9, he has this ambition. Almost as if to say, yeah, I want to leave. I'm tired of all the trouble and the hate and the murder around me. But still, while I'm here, I must please the Lord. And i got to find joy in pleasing the Lord. I'm not going to find joy in the world around me. There's nothing there. Joy is from the, from the Lord, from God. That's what, it's the, only, the only place you're going to find it. So Paul's making a point here saying um, we've got to do what we can while we can. Okay, so while we're here, still, our heart's still beating, we're still breathing, you know, we're not on the other side yet. We have to take care of what God, take care of what God has called us to while we are here. Amen? Um, we'll find our second point in verse 10. Uh, and our second point is, why should we go? We will be judged by God. Uh, verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one, meaning each one of us, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It says, according to what he has done, each one of us have done, whether good or bad. Now, this good or bad does not actually refer to morality. This good or bad is not a moral good or a moral evil. It's not righteousness and sin. We won't get judged for our sin because Jesus atoned for our sin. Right? He, his blood takes care of our sin. It washes us clean. So we don't, when Jesus looks at us, when we, sit, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he will see Jesus' righteousness and not our sin because of what Jesus has done and because of our accepting of what Jesus has done for our lives and for our sin. But what's being talked about here is actually Paul's referring to good deeds which have eternal value, things we've done in this life that have eternal value, that have done, we've done something for the kingdom, and then bad meaning those which do not have eternal value. And I have an example here, uh, and I put those times you decide to sit on your couch instead of following the lead of the Holy Spirit to go serve God's people. And I got that example from my own very life. Back in January, um, I was telling my fiance yesterday, I decided to stay home and watch the NFC Championship game instead of serve at our Lindenwald campus Saturday night service. And so, which has eternal value, serving God's people, loving God's people, or sitting home watching a football game? The Eagles blew them out that game, and it was, I kind of was like, I didn't even need to watch that. But I did. And so that's something I'm going to have to answer to God for. He's going to ask me, why did you choose to stay home and watch a football game as opposed to serving my people? And all those players have to ask, answer the same question, not to say that what they did was bad by playing, <laughs> but um, they, God won't ask them about their Super Bowl ring or the game. He's going to ask them the same thing. What have you done for my kingdom? So... Um, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there. Um, that's where I'll be for a second. I'm in verse uh, 11 through 15. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid in Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
So, again, with our works that have eternal value, we get a reward. And if we understand that we're not being judged for our sin, we're also not being saved by our works. Still to make that clear. We're not being saved because of our works. But there is a reward for what we do for the kingdom. Um, and regardless of how your works stack up, and even in this context, it says you're, you're building on this foundation, which is Jesus Christ, all the works um, that we're doing for the kingdom. Regardless of that, we are still saved. All right? You may not have as good a reward, if you will, but I mean, at that point, you're just happy to be there. Right? Amen? But that's our motivation. Our, our motivation is that we would get a reward uh, and, from Jesus. And the Bible talks about the crowns that we'll receive. And these crowns aren't for us. You may think, well, we're getting a reward. You're telling me that I have to work for a reward. Doesn't that sound a little materialistic? These crowns that we may get in heaven, that we will get in heaven, they're actually given back in worship to Jesus. And so it's not this selfish, oh, I want to get the best crown I possibly can get. It's, I want to do this for Christ. I want to get the best crown I can get because I want to give it back to him in worship to him. So that's our motivation. He's our motivation. But then what about, so that's for believers, the judgment seat of Christ. It's for believers. But what about those who don't know Jesus? The ones we are trying to reach, the ones we're going to. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. And Peter here is talking about false teachers, um, but this also applies to the lost. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the present earth are being reserved for fire, kept for, fire, kept for the day excuse me, of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter's saying that something is escaping the notice of these people. And what he's saying is, if they, if they are not aware of the biblical history that's communicated in the Genesis of creation, and even the destruction of the flood, then they're most likely not aware of the coming judgment of unrepentant men and ungodly men. And so when we go to the lost, we have to understand there's an urgency to go reach them, because they're, if they're not aware of what God has done in, their, in the past, if they're not letting him do something in their lives in the present, then they're probably not aware of what God is going to do in the future. That there is a judgment that's coming. Now, we don't need to preach fire and brimstone, but we do need to tell them that Jesus came for them and loves them. And that he can change their life. And they don't have to worry about all that. That salvation is waiting for them because Jesus came. I want to continue to eight, verse 8 and 9 in that same passage. It says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. <laughs> so some people are looking up like, God, you said soon. <laughs> you said soon. It's been 2,000 years. <laughs> but but is it, to, to the Lord, it might have been one day. It's been two days. Right? And he's not slow. He's patient. It's not that he's slow. It's not that he's, he's missing the mark. He's patient. Why? Because he wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That should be our same motivation. That's his will. And if we do his will, it's pleasing to God. 
So that's why we should go. He wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and continue on uh, verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Um, So our third point here is we have a healthy fear of God and we are persuaded by God. Let's start with what does it mean to fear the Lord? I can rule out right now it does not mean to be afraid of him. All right? It does not mean to be afraid of him. But what it means is to have a certain reverence or respect for who God is. Uh, For example, if Jesus walked in the room right now, I highly doubt any of you would just continue sitting here looking at me like some Joe Smo just walked in the door. You would either stand in awe and reverence, or you would bow down at his feet and surrender, understanding who just walked in the room. And the same is true with your life. Uh, When you acknowledge God's presence in your life and his love for you, you act on it. You don't just treat his commandments like a buddy's suggestion. Like, yeah, you know, God, I don't really feel like it today. Maybe tomorrow, you know, not, not really feeling it. But get back to me. Um, no, a healthy fear of God means we have been persuaded and convinced that he knows what's best for us. We've been persuaded and convinced that he loves us, the way he's told us he's loved us, the way he's acted out his love for us. And when we're convinced of that, we want to go tell others. We want to convince others and persuade others how much he loves them. I... um. I do a, a podcast called Convinced Christianity, and that word convinced, uh, really, I held on to. And um, it's an apologetics podcast, and apologetics is just um, really just the, answering the tough questions of faith, handling those questions, like, does God exist? How can uh, God be all good if evil still exists in this world? Those tough questions. And a lot of times, atheists and skeptics ask those questions. They do. Um, but I've geared the podcast more so, more so for Christians, for believers, and it's for that very reason. I believe we as Christians need to be convinced of who God is. We're not always fully convinced. Yeah, we, we come on Sunday mornings and we, we get a word and we feel good. And it's great. But we have to understand it's not about us always and about our, our, our feelings. It's about who God in reality is, who he objectively is. And if you know who he is and you're convinced of who he is, you act like it and you act on it. And I read a book this past year called The Christian Atheist. And uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll give the title of the book and I kind of get like a, a shocked reaction. Like those terms don't go together, Christian Atheist. Um, and after they get over the shock, I, I, I give them the subtitle. Uh, and the subtitle is When You Believe in God, But You Act As If He Doesn't Exist. And a lot of times that's us. I mean, I read through the chapters and I'm like, yep, that was me. That was me. That was me. That was me. I mean, we just do it. There's times we, we, when we choose sin, right? Jesus has already unbound us from sin. We're no longer bound to sin. He freed us from it. So anytime we sin at this point, it's just because we choose to. We go back to it. We're acting as if he is not Lord of our lives. We're acting like he does not know what's best for us. He does. And we have to submit to that 
and we walk in righteousness, we are acting like he is Lord of our lives, like he does know what's best for us. And we have to be convinced that he does know what's best for us. So be convinced of that, please. I'm going to read verse 13 again, and we'll find our fourth point. Paul says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. We should seem crazy and out of our minds to the world. Because if we're truly living lives that are set apart, that look nothing like the world, they're going to look at you like, what are you doing? Why do you choose to go to church every Sunday? Why do you give up your time to go serve God's people? What are you, what are you giving your money away to some organization that makes no sense? It doesn't make sense to the world. And it won't. You'll look crazy to the world. And we just got to accept it. Because we're not of this world. We have a heavenly kingdom. I have examples here of just singing and worshiping in your car. I mean, I've had people look at me like, what are you doing? Right? Praying before my meals at work, just as simple as that. Starts conversation. Quoting scripture in conversation with a coworker, saying, this is what I believe, and I think God can help you in this area that you're struggling. This is what I believe uh, you know, can help you. People will think you're crazy. That's okay. Uh, but if we're in the world and we do what seems normal to the world, accepted, that's commonplace to the world, they probably won't look at you crazy. They won't ask you questions. Why? Because they'll assume that you're like everybody else. And we're not. We're not. We're, we're not of this world. Our primary allegiance is not to any government. It's not to any person. It's not to any country. Our primary and first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Everything's fine after, but you just gotta, priorities got to be straight. Kingdom first, everything second. I'll say this, if you're not being questioned and people aren't looking at you like you're crazy, I don't think it's that you're not living for God's glory. Um, but I think there's room to grow in boldness. Um, I know there's, there's, there's a room, there's a place in our lives where we can get comfortable in this walk and say, well, you know, I'm saved, I'm okay, I go to church every Sunday, and no one knows. No one sees that in your life. They should see it. It should come out naturally. And those things I mentioned earlier, just worshiping in your car, playing worship at your desk, reading your Bible during breaks, small things. If he's ruler of your life, Lord of your life, he's a part of every aspect of your life. Every moment you're thinking about him. Every moment you're thinking, how can I serve God? How can I better my relationship with him? How can I get closer to him? And I promise you, if you just start doing those small little things, people will start looking at you like you're beside yourself. Like you're crazy, like you're out of your mind. And that's a good place to be. And so I challenge you to be unashamed of the gospel and live it out as God's called us to live it out. Um, Let me end by reading uh, verses 14 and 15. And uh, Josh is going to continue on these passages next week. But I just want to leave you with this as we consider why should we go. Um, Paul says here in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Amen? All right, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, um, to hear from you, Father, and to worship you in spirit and truth. Um, I pray that uh, we would just have a good time of fellowship afterwards, Father. Um, if we bless the food right now, Father, uh, that it would nourish us as you would have it will. Um, let me bless your name, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.